My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, To you who hear, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other one as well. And from the person who takes your cloak, do not withhold even your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from the one who takes what is yours, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend money to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But rather, love your enemies and do good to them and lend expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Stop judging, and you will not be judged. Stop condemning, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and gifts will be given to you. A good measure, packed together, shaken down, and overflowing, will be poured into your lap. For the measure with which you measure will in return be measured out to you. The Gospel of the Lord. As Catholics who believe what Jesus said, that the bread and wine becomes his actual body and blood in the Eucharist, that mass, that he becomes as real and as present in the host that we receive as he was 2,000 years ago, we often identify the the struggle that this belief caused people right from the the outset. When you look at the Gospel of John in chapter 6, and you note that people argued with Jesus about what he was saying, And that with Jesus' insistence that they needed to eat the flesh of the Son of Man, that many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. It was that hard to believe. It was that hard to conceive of. It was a a breaking point that St. John even captures this abandoning by many. What brings that to mind is that sitting with this gospel... I wonder if people find this teaching even harder to believe or conceive of. Love your enemies. Seemingly impossibility of the command is jarring, isn't it? So often when Jesus preaches and teaches using parables, they often have some lack of clarity or at least plausible deniability for us as listeners as we try to take it in and apply it to our own lives. 
But there's no parables here. There's nothing confusing when he says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Loving our enemies, seriously. Who comes to mind when you think of that word, enemies? It could kind of run the whole gamut from people we've never personally even met to someone we might have called our best friend. What do I mean? A few examples come to mind. I've been watching the Showtime drama Homeland that was filled about 15 years ago. And it's basically about the, the war on terrorism that started in the wake of the September 11th attacks. And it's amazing the power of entertainment and arts in general, how they are able to really tap into people's memories and even bring back very powerful feelings and emotions. The anger and the rage I felt or feel towards those who attacked our country and caused such pain and loss for for friends of mine and parishioners in my first parish that 21 years later has not gone away. I'm called to love them. Or I've shared in the past that I have a set list of daily intentions of people that I pray for. And some years ago, the Lord really had put on my heart that I needed to name and pray for enemies or people who've hurt me or people that I've loved or people that I wildly disagree with and frustrate me or more generically and simply people I hate. And it might be a little bit shocking or disappointing to hear a priest says that there are people he hates. And I agree, which is why I felt the Lord was directing me that I needed to be more intentional about rooting that out. That when there's someone that generates that type of an emotional response and knowing what Jesus is saying in this teaching, I have a responsibility to confront it. So long story short, I have a list. And one name that I'll share on it is the former Archbishop of Newark, the disgraced and since laicized Theodore McCarrick. The misery that he inflicted on on so many individuals through his, his sexual abuse, his abuse of power and position, his manipulations, the disgrace that he brought to the church, the hurt, the loss of trust and faith that this has caused for countless people. And yes, the, the personal hurt that I felt and feel, not having suffered, thankfully, the worst of his behaviors, but definitely knowing that I experienced pain through simply trusting him as a, a spiritual father from when I was in high school through when I was ordained by him. Feeling duped when the avalanche of details came out a few years ago about what he had done, his ongoing denials, the people who covered for him. Pray for those who mistreat you. Yeah, like I said, he's on my list. But in my heart of hearts, it doesn't seem like he's getting off that list anytime soon. I've also had friends that I no longer consider such. People who I shared some personal parts of myself, that there was vulnerability, there was sacrifices that were made, there were weaknesses exposed and genuine love and care offered like there would be in any genuine friendship, but where those things were taken advantage of where those things were manipulated, where I was taken advantage of or manipulated, that it's not only destroyed a friendship, but it's left this unresolved anger 
and has them now categorized as an enemy in my heart and my mind. To the person who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other one as well. (laughs) I can't even look at them, Lord. It's painful to think about the people that we categorize as enemies, let alone hearing Jesus calling us into this seemingly impossible task of loving them. And from over 22 years of being a priest, I know I'm not alone on that. But I think part of the problem we have is in how we kind of allow our mind to run off in a lot of different scenarios, as if to say loving our enemies requires us to be defenseless to evil actions by people. Or that Jesus is advocating or pretending that we don't mind. We don't mind being taken advantage of. Or even worse, enabling bad behavior. Indeed, there are are some who try to use this passage to create co-conspirators to crimes. Or to entrap people into abusive relationships. All of which we really need to be clear about is not what Jesus intends. And that's why that... That first reading from the Old Testament, from the first book of Samuel, is so helpful. David, King David, had already been anointed by Samuel at God's direction to be the next king of Israel. The current king, King Saul, they had started off all right. David had looked to Saul like a son to his father to be mentored by him. And Saul initially welcomed this. When David kills Goliath, and removes that menacing threat from the people, Saul was kind of happy to have David around. (laughs) And when David assists Saul in leading their armies into these important victories, that was incredibly helpful. (laughs) More than helpful. David was actually far superior in leading those troops than Saul was and had even greater victories and successes. And that's where it all started to turn. Before too long, jealousy and envy start to take hold in Saul's mind and heart. And soon Saul becomes paranoid and he allows all these evil thoughts to consume him to the point he's trying to kill David and everyone knew it. It was unjust, it was unreasonable, it was unprovoked. David hadn't done anything wrong. In fact, that only fueled Saul's irrationality, which is often the case. When we're in a state of sin, we tend to become more and more illogical as we try to rationalize our twisted logic. So that's the whole backstory to today's reading. So here, David comes upon Saul. He and some of his closest allies with him, they're defenseless because they're deep in a sound sleep. It's like God himself had cleared the way for David to take Saul out, which is basically what his friend says to him. We heard Abishai whispered to David, God has delivered your enemy to your grasp this day. This good fortune. The fact that people knew what was going on here was wrong. Every sense of human logic would seem to justify David killing Saul. But he doesn't. Not because he was scared of Saul or his allies. Remember, he killed Goliath with a slingshot and a rock. He doesn't do that because David being an ancestor to Jesus is providentially enlightened by the Holy Spirit into this gospel teaching of love your enemies. David makes it clear to Saul that he was in his grasp and that he didn't do the very act that Saul was trying to do to him. And Saul is humbled by this 
undeserved mercy. Well, at least initially, but that's another story for another day. He reaches back out to David and invites him back into his household, back into his company, back into his friendship. And David basically says, thanks, but, but no thanks. And that's an important thing we need to remember here. That there's a balance of, yes, love of enemy, but practical wisdom. David recognizes that this relationship has been ruptured. Saul has allowed his mind and heart to be guided by evil, and that hasn't demonstrated any change of heart. So Saul doesn't deserve the same type of trust and admiration that David had for him before all that happened. Love doesn't make David deny what's happened that caused the hurt. Love doesn't make David lower his defenses and become vulnerable to Saul the next time this elder king becomes jealous and irrational again. Love enabled David to deal with a horrible situation in charity. Love prevents David from becoming the thing that hurt, the thing that threatened, and the thing he hated. And love spoke to the hearts of all those who witnessed and heard what was happening about what it truly means to be the Lord's anointed, the attitudes, the behaviors that are expected. And that's the love that Jesus is calling all those who will come and follow him to follow, especially each of us who have been anointed, anointed in the sacraments of baptism and confirmation and becoming God's beloved sons and daughters. And it's hard, hard work that doesn't have a time frame attached to it. From my own personal experience and examples, what love of enemies has shown me is that I'm still confounded by the evil that consumes the hearts of terrorists who are so possessed by radical extremism and hatred that they're willing to die in order to bring death. But Jesus' call to love my enemies forces me not to get lost in those emotions that want revenge and reminds me of the fragility of the human heart and spirit, especially that if we're not aligned with Jesus Christ, with him who is love incarnate, we are open to all kinds of demonic manipulations. The devil will run rent-free in our heads. That even the seemingly most just of causes can be exploited for some really horrific behavior. I recognize that Theodore McCarrick needs to be brought to account for what he's done. That being dismissed as a priest was far from harsh, but a needed step of justice and just a step. And I'm still at a loss as to what I would say to him if I were to encounter him right now, having nowhere near suffered the horrific things that so many others have. Those wounds are still far from healed. But over a year ago, there was a 400-plus page report that was issued about McCarrick. And I remember spending the better part of a full day reading the entire thing. And the explanations or the accountability or whatever it was I was looking for, perhaps closure, it wasn't found in these testimonies, the allegations, the finger-pointing, the depravity, and the mess. I just found myself tired and drained, and more saddened than I was before I even read it. And it was then that I remembered Jesus' call to love my enemies, and recognizing that that healing from those wounds 
is only possible from Christ. And that's why I have to pray for someone I really don't want to. Recognizing I can't just keep wallowing in that anger towards this one man and all those who failed at holding him accountable, but that I have to entrust my, my helplessness at what's just an awful mess and entrust it to the God who constantly can make something new, even in the midst of a mess. And I see how this call to love of enemies does have the power to move and change human hearts. It can result in even something somewhat miraculous. One former friend who I had felt pretty hurt and then angry towards, and then some mutual friends, whether intentionally or not, added some Duraflame logs to the fire, it really seemed to grow in, in bitterness as time went on. And I had tried to distance myself and isolate them, just avoid talking about them at all as just a way of not making things worse. But it, it seemed like no matter what I was doing, it kept getting worse. Whenever they did come to mind or come up in conversation, I would try to dismiss them. And inevitably, it just felt sadder and angrier. And it wasn't until I sincerely started to pray for them and acknowledge that they had actually become an enemy. A friend had become an enemy and allowed myself to feel vulnerable in my prayer and acknowledge I felt that loss of this friendship. And that's when something amazing happened. I recognized I was at fault too. Some of the things I had done wrong, some of the hurtful things that I had committed in the heat of the moment that I didn't even realize I had done that contributed to things getting to this place. When all that really registered and clicked, I knew I needed to own that and apologize for that. And that's when the unexpectedly miraculous thing happened where a reconciliation occurred that I never would have imagined possible. It's easy for this gospel passage to be just dismissed as impossible. To hear Jesus' words as an ideal that's just too unrealistic to achieve. For his teaching to be manipulated into providing license for bad behavior to go unchecked. And if we treat it that way, we can find ourselves like those disciples who no longer walked with Jesus at his teaching about the Eucharist. Instead, Jesus invites us to be humble, humble ourselves and admit how hard this is. To let go of our impulse to hold on to hurts and pains that justify our hatred towards someone else. To go against those instincts that recoil at doing anything but seek revenge on those we've deemed an enemy. To not bring our expectations of what may or has to happen with all these difficult relationships and complex feelings that we navigate. Instead, to sincerely and genuinely let him and let his love enter in. Let him guide. Let him direct. Let him challenge and heal us, not just into loving an enemy, but more importantly, to form us to being his faithful disciple.